I want to make a slight correction. Maybe correction is not the right word. I, I understand what the lyricist intended. But I want you to think maybe a little differently. We sang, I have decided to follow Jesus. Yes, Lord. <laughs> but there's a, a verse in there we sang, and it, and it struck me differently this morning. The world before, the world behind me, what is it, the world? The cross behind me, the world before me. Is that it? Yeah. So one more time. The world behind me, the cross before me. Okay, I disagree. The cross is behind me, having sanctified and saved me that I might walk in the world before me. So I, I invite you to look at it differently. I understand, again, the, the lyricist is saying the world is behind me, the cross is before me, so I've left the world and I'm following the cross. I understand that. I, I, I get that. And even the sense that, well, the cross is before me, so persecution and challenges are before me. But it's the cross behind me that has prepared me and saved me and covers me to deal with the world before me. Jesus died 2,000 years ago that we might live today and continue living and looking forward not to persecution and sorrow and heartache and difficulty. That's all out there. I understand that. But the cross behind me has saved me. Amen? So keep that in mind and let's think that through because we're about to enter into a section of Revelation that I've been looking forward to for eight months. And I'm so excited to be here because it's bigger than many people even understand. Those who have never cracked the book of Revelation or studied through Revelation, and I keep hearing this, it's amazing to me. Last week again I heard, wow, you're teaching Revelation. I've never been in a church that teaches Revelation. What is wrong with the church when we're not teaching Revelation? The revelation of Jesus Christ. This is what's coming. Who doesn't want to know what's coming? And what's coming is just going to get better and better. And again, not in this life. This life is going to get worse and worse. But, but, but what's coming? Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Revelation chapter 20, look at verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. Now, I got to correct something before we even get into the teaching. Verse 5 then continues. This is the first resurrection. Now, the verses are there to help us track things, right? But sometimes the verse placements are placed poorly. And this is one of those. Because that last sentence of verse 5 really ought to be part of verse 6. Because if you read verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. No, it's not. No, it goes on to the next verse. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, and they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, what you see in verse 5 is an aside, not dealing with the first resurrection, but dealing with the second resurrection. 
So verse 5, part A, you might just note that's an aside to the flow of what's being talked about in verses 4 through 6, which is the first resurrection. And I can't wait. The first resurrection. There are 66 books in the Bible. Oh yeah, there's one revelation, but there are two resurrections. Two resurrections in the Bible. Now, if you've read it cover to cover, if you've studied through it, maybe you'd think, well, no, Rick, I've counted more. Uh, In the New Testament, didn't Paul raise the young man Eutychus who fell out of the window when Paul preached long into the night? This is why we do all our preaching on the ground floor. (laughs) Acts chapter 20 tells the story. Paul raised Eutychus, fell out the window and died. Uh, Peter raised Tabitha, whose name is also translated Dorcas. It's unfortunate. It means gazelle. But in Acts chapter 9, Peter raised Tabitha from the dead, and she'd been dead for a while. Jesus raised Lazarus, John 11. He raised Jairus' daughter, Luke 8. He raised a widow's son, Luke 7. And you know, he may also have raised John if the, the apostle indeed flatlined back in Revelation chapter 1. I suspect he did. I suspect in one seventeen. When John says he fell down like a dead man, that he fell down dead. But Jesus lifted him back up. It doesn't matter theologically what you think. I mean, Jesus can raise the dead either way. But I suspect John would be included, perhaps, in those raised from the dead and all those resurrection stories in the New Testament. But you find them in the Hebrew Scriptures as well. A dead man who was hastily dumped into Elisha's grave. (laughs) When his body hit the prophet's bones, he sprang to life. 2 Kings chapter 13. Remarkable. And previously, before Elisha died, he had raised a a Shunammite woman's son, 2 Kings chapter 4. So Elijah, or Elisha, raised a Shunammite son and his bones raised the dead man. So he gets two credits. Elijah, before him, raised a widow's son from the Gentile region of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17. Several resurrections. In fact, if you put it together and all, we've got a window sitter, a beloved sister, a dear bro, a little girl, three widow's sons, a dead man dumped, and an apostle stuck on Patmos. (laughs) And if you put that to the 12 days of Christmas, it actually works. If you include John, nine resurrections in all talked about, uh, presented in the Holy Scriptures, and you might say, but Rick, you said there are two resurrections in the Bible, and on top of that, you completely left out the most important one, (laughs) Jesus. He's not on the list of the other resurrections. In fact, you could say Jesus just doesn't make that list, because Jesus begins his own list. Jesus is the first among the two resurrections. He is the first of the first resurrection. Now, hear me on this. We Christians get really excited when we hear stories of miraculous healings, and we should. We're thrilled when we, when we hear about resurrections. Things that have happened in present day. Boy, we'll, we'll forward those emails when we hear those stories. We'll circulate the DVDs. We will wonder about and marvel at the power of lives brought from 
sickness into healing and, and death back into life? Well, not to pop anyone's miracle bubble, but the healed will all get sick again. And the raised from the dead will die again, notwithstanding the rapture of the church. Here's a stunning thought. Every single person healed or raised by Christ Jesus himself eventually died. Be excited about healing. Pray for it. Look for and believe that the Holy Spirit has the same resurrection power today that he has always had. But understand that while Jesus came into this world as a miracle worker and a healer in his first coming... He came far more as a rabbi, a teacher. It was more important to Jesus that his word get out, which is why after healing for a time, he would always leave and go to another region so that he would teach and his word could be heard. He came, yes, as a miracle worker and a healer, but more as a servant and as a sacrifice. He came with mighty power, but more than that, he came as a savior and not just a savior for this life and so every last one of the biblical resurrection stories end in death with the bright exception of Jesus the only one to die and rise again to eternal life to then live forever he's the only one that's done that thus far so we have the beginning of the first resurrection. He is the first, in fact, of what I'm going to call this morning the fellowship of the first resurrection. The fellowship of the first resurrection. Keep your finger in Revelation 20 and turn back, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. If you want a consummate passage explaining and talking about resurrection in the Bible, Paul does it in 1 Corinthians 15. So turn there. We'll pick up in verse 13. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 13. Paul says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised, but if Christ, or and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, and your faith is also vain. I wonder if Paul was preaching about the resurrection when Eutychus fell out the window. How ironic would that be? And if he was unable to raise Eutychus back to life while preaching about resurrection, his preaching may very well have been in vain. Verse 15, moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ. Whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. And I say to you with all compassion... That there are many Christians who are pitiable right now because they think that Jesus was raised for this life only. That it's all just for this life only. Oh yeah, and, and heaven out there in the vague unknown. It's why, and I was talking to Cheryl about this again yesterday, it's why we see so many contemporary Christian songs 
that talk about fear and chains. You see it all over the place. We were listening to Christian radio yesterday, and I I kid you not, in about an hour's worth of listening, at least three if not four songs talk about chains. A number of others talk about fears. Why are Christians living in chains and fears when Jesus came to release us from prison and fill us with hope? So let's stop with this nonsense and start looking forward to what is ahead and being filled with the Spirit of God and not letting these things get us down as they so easily can. If we had hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Don't be pitied. Don't pity me. Don't pity me. I'm on my way home. But now, verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, speaking of Adam, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead, speaking of Christ. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each, note this, each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, and after that, those who are Christ's at His coming. Then comes the end, when He hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when He has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet, and the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Listen, Jesus trailblazed the first resurrection. But that trail's about to get mighty full. The first resurrection speaks of a fellowship, an order, a company, if you will, of people. And it began with Jesus. And it's about to continue in mass in a way that is hard to even imagine if Scripture didn't tell us. John chapter 6, verse 39, Jesus said, This is the will of Him who sent me, that of all that He has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up in the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up in the last day. And the next order of the first resurrection is the rapture of the church. So Jesus began the process, resurrected Himself. Well, 2,000 years have gone by, but that order is not closed. That company is not finished. It's just begun. As Jesus said, Matthew 24, 40, there will be two men in the field. One will be taken, paralambano, received unto, and one will be left. John 14, 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you, paralambano, to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with those who have died in Christ in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we, not dead, will be raised, we will be changed. It'll be a first resurrection wave. First time, again, since Jesus' singular resurrection, a first resurrection wave in that it swells into a tidal wave of His people, all resurrected instantaneously at the same time. The rapture of the church. 
And rapture is one of those words that if you understand it, if you've read it, if you've studied it in Scripture and you know it to be true, it's one of those words like hallelujah and amen that's really hard to say without cracking a smile. And I challenge you to try it. Look in your mirror at home and just say, rapture, and see what happens. (laughs) The rapture of the church. But you know what? The rapture is not the end game. It's just a moment of transport. The end game is far greater. The rapture gets us up and out. Brings us home to be with Jesus on a seven-year honeymoon extraordinaire. But listen, hey, we're just getting started. That's just the tip of the iceberg of what is coming. And this is the good part. When things really get exciting. That's why I love Revelation 20, 21 and 22. Because there's so much out ahead of us. And what's about to get underway, what's truly exciting to me, is the millennial kingdom. That is the thousand year reign of Christ. It is coming, my friends. It is just out ahead of us. Rapture is marvelous. The the, the honeymoon of just finally being with Jesus and being at rest with Him and enjoy with Him. the, the, The groom and his wife together. In the heavenly places. And then we come back with Him. Wow, in that marvelous ride and all these things we've talked about in the last couple of weeks. But there's so much more. Don't stop there. There is so much more. The millennial kingdom of a thousand years ruling and reigning with Jesus right here on the earth. And someone says, where do you get a thousand years? Well, um, I'd like to point out to you six times in Revelation chapter 20. In fact, six times in the first seven verses, if you'll note at the end of verse 2, that Satan is bound for a thousand years. That's a good thing. He won't deceive the nations, verse 3, any longer until the thousand years are completed. (laughs) That's a good thing. In verse 4, I see those, they came to life. That is, those who are martyred in tribulation times, in those seven years, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. And then the rest of the dead were not, did not come to life, verse 5, until the thousand years were completed. And at the end of verse 6, they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. Verse 7, and it says when the thousand years are completed. Six times. How many times does John have to use the phrase, a thousand years for us to understand? It's a thousand years. By the way, jot this down. In the Greek, the phrase, a thousand years, literally translates... A thousand years. (laughs) The thousand year reign of Christ. And there's nothing here, by the way, to indicate in any way whatsoever that this is allegorical. Well, it's just a a, a metaphorical picture of a thousand years. It's kind of a concept. Because, you know, John, way back then, they weren't as intelligent as we are these days. And so he couldn't quite comprehend big numbers, so he just threw that out there. Come on! A thousand years means a thousand years. Now, people will actually argue that point. I don't know why, but they do. They'll say, I thought a thousand years is like one day to the Lord. Well, yeah. A thousand years is like a day to the Lord, but a thousand years on earth is like a thousand years on earth. 
from our perspective, a thousand years is a thousand years. John is writing of a period of time that will be precisely a millennial kingdom, a kingdom reign for a thousand years. Now, you may be familiar with the different schools of thought. See, that's what we do as human beings. We come up with schools of thought. Everybody has to have their own school. And there's the pre-millennial, and there's the post-millennial, and there's the ah-millennial. And there are those who don't want to study it. They call themselves pro-millennial. You know, however it happens, I don't care. You should. You should care. I'll go over all these schools of thought on Wednesday night. I don't want to waste the time this morning, but I will tell you this, and I say with absolute confidence, the premillennial view is the only one that honestly and literally takes God at His word. The others, while they have points that they make, and some would say valid points, and they're trying to explain the world as we know it. The others come from the perspective of looking at the world and trying to then look at Scripture. The premillennial view looks at Scripture to understand the world. It starts right here. What does it say, and then what does that tell us? Premillennial. Now, if you, if you get confused with all the phraseology, it's, it's not that difficult. Pre-tribulation. Premillennial, what's the diff with those? Pre-tribulation simply means the church is caught up before the tribulation begins. Pre-tribulation, right? Premillennial means Jesus himself returns before the kingdom begins. Okay? One is before the tribulation, the church caught up. Pre-tribulation rapture. The other is pre-millennial, that Jesus then returns before that thousand-year kingdom begins. He establishes it. Zechariah chapter 6 even tells us he will build the new millennial temple, which is stunning when you read it in Ezekiel. He himself, he comes to rule and to reign on site, in person, on the earth for a thousand years. Where do you get this, Pastor Rick? Revelation 20, parishioner. From the Bible. Jesus is coming to rule and reign on this planet. Because because where there's a kingdom, there's got to be, jot this down, a king personally. There's got to be a king personally. And listen to this, Revelation 19.50, He will rule them, shepherd them with a rod or a staff of iron. Quoting Psalm 2 verse 9. Revelation 16 verse 16 He has a robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And that's not just euphemistic. John 18 verse 36, Jesus is standing before Pilate. Pilate, who thought he was representing all rule and reign and authority, stood before Jesus holding, he thought, his life in his hands, though Jesus knew that the power wasn't from Pilate, but it was from above. And Jesus said to Pilate, My kingdom... It's not of this realm. My kingdom's not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, So you are a king! Ha <laughs> ha! Gotcha! And Jesus said, You say correctly that I am a king. You say... The word correctly is not in there. You'll see it italicized. You say correctly that I am a king. You say that I am a king. But he's not presenting it as a question. He's making a statement. You say it right. Because the word say is in the present active indicative. You could translate it. (laughs) You hit the nail on the head. You said it. 
I am a king. And then Jesus said, for this I have been born. Understand what he's saying. Listen to him clearly. For this I have been born. That is born into the world. For what, Jesus? To be a king. I thought he already was a king before. No, he's God before. Glorified before. Sure, a king in in terms of rule and authority in the heavens. But I was born to be a king. And then he says, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And people say, well, he said he's a king, not of this realm. Exactly. Not of Rome. Not of the world system. Not of the way that it was. That's not the kind of rule that he's talking about. Completely different. He will usher in, number two, a kingdom. We have a king personally and the kingdom locationally. And I want you to be clear on this. What was it that Jesus said in that high heavenly prayer, that beautiful prayer of Matthew chapter 6? He says in verse 10, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On earth, earth, as well as in heaven. Well, that's just metaphorical. Why do we keep going there? Why don't we just take him at his word? Why don't we just believe him for what he says? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When? When the kingdom comes. The kingdom age must come to this world. Understand, this isn't a, a question. It must come to the world or God is a liar. Because throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, God promised a kingdom on earth, out of Jerusalem, being ruled for His people. Guaranteed to them. And you can read it and jot these down. If you're a fast writer, just jot these down. I didn't put these verses up there because we'd have 72 verses this morning. Psalm 2. Psalm 24. Just jot them down quickly. Psalm 110. And I'm just given a a handful. Isaiah 2, 9, 11, 35, 40, 65 through... Oh, just the whole book of Isaiah. (laughs) Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48 tells us in breathtaking terms of, of Jerusalem, not New Jerusalem out in the heavenlies, Revelation 21 and 22, but of Jerusalem in the kingdom on earth, describes it in such epic terms, the world has never seen the temple complex as Ezekiel described it, as God guaranteed this is coming. This is going to take place. This is going to be here. Read it. Ezekiel 40 through 48. Read Daniel chapter 2 verses 44 and 45. Or Joel chapter 3. Or Zephaniah chapter 3. Or Zechariah chapter 6 and 14. And you're like, I can't keep up, Rick. Okay, Psalm 2, 24, 110, Isaiah 2, 9, 11, 35, 40, 65, 66, Ezekiel 40 through 48, Daniel 2, 44 and 45, Joel 3, Zephaniah 3, Zechariah 6 and 14. Got it? Here's my point. Here's my point. The Hebrew Scriptures are covered with promises of God to bring a kingdom to the earth to His people Israel, such as Israel has never seen. And the description has never been fulfilled. And Isaiah chapter 2, 
verse 3 says, Many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that He may teach us concerning His ways, and that we may walk in His paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And He will, He will judge between the nations, and will render decisions for many peoples. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation and never again will they learn war. Have we ever seen such a kingdom? No, we have not. And God says, it's coming. I've promised it to you. It's a guarantee to His people Israel. He must follow through. The kingdom must come. And that's just the beginning. Of all the prophecies. I mean, that's just a tiny little sampler. So we've got a king personally, a kingdom locationally on the earth, and now we need subjects, right? Societally or socially in the world. Okay, who make up the subjects of the kingdom? Now, don't jump ahead of me and say, well, the church does. We're citizens of the kingdom. Yes, we are, but that's not who I'm talking about. Who makes up in their mortality, the subjects of this kingdom on planet Earth. It begins with faithful, surviving Israel. Those faithful survivors of the tribulation, the surviving remnant of Israel. Remember we we studied them, we looked at them, Revelation 12, as ensconced in a safe house, a safe place in the wilderness, a place God prepared for them. He gets them out, He keeps them safe. And we've looked a lot at that and considered that over the years. In fact, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11 says, The Lord will again recover the second time with His hand the remnant of His people who will remain. The first time was the recovery from Babylon. There has never been a second time since. The Lord will recover a second time, Isaiah prophesies. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 9. I will bring the third part through the fire. Two-thirds of my people, he says, are going to perish. In the fires of tribulation, I'll bring the third part through the fire and refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. And they will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. Faithful Israel. Romans eleven twenty six, and so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and he will remove ungodliness from Jacob. These are all those at the end of the tribulation period, at the end of those seven horrific years of wrath and rebellion, all those Jewish people who believe in Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus as their Christ. And they will be ushered into the millennial kingdom. Understand this in their mortal state. Nothing has changed physically for them. They're still mortal human beings. And the tribulation over, having been protected, and now they ushered, they're ushered into the kingdom. The third of all Israel. To live in that beautiful age. But not just them. You see, if you think it through... The Bible is clear that there will also be Gentile believers in Jesus who were not martyred for their faith, survivors from among all the nations of the world who believe in Jesus, but somehow (laughs) they missed the mark. That is the mark of the beast. 
They didn't take the mark of the beast. Uh, they, they were uh, somehow flying under the radar, undetected from all the nations of the world. Well, how can you say that, Rick? Zechariah chapter 14, verse 16 tells us. It will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to celebrate the Feast of Booths. And note the phrasing of this. Any who are left of all the nations that went up against Jerusalem. doesn't mean that everybody goes up against Jerusalem. In the war of Armageddon, that is the armies of the nations of the world. It's not all the nations of the world that show up for Armageddon. But all their armies do. Ever been part of a nation that sent an army to war? And you didn't agree with that war? Or you weren't part of that? I'm not questioning anybody's you know, loyalty to America right now. I'm just saying that there are people and have been throughout history whose nation went to war and they sat there going, I don't think this is a good idea. I, I, I wouldn't, I don't, you know. And so Armageddon is going to happen and there are going to be people apparently throughout the world, Gentiles, who wouldn't have fought the battle of Armageddon, don't believe in what's going on, are, are aghast at the whole thing and sitting home praying, Lord, I've come to faith in You. These are believers. I, I see what's going on. I'm waiting for You. Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. And all, listen, all the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another. As a shepherd separates the sheep to His right from the goats. You're not the sheep, you're not the goats. We're all sheep here, okay? But, it's called the judgment of nations. It is not final judgment, because judgment for salvation has nothing to do with works. But with these, He's going to separate them out, and those who cared for His people. Those who loved and served. Specifically, I believe the people of Israel are the sheep. And those who didn't and who rejected are the goats. And the king will say, Matthew 25, 34, to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And he's talking about a judgment of nations, Gentiles, not Jews. So going into the millennial kingdom, the tribulation has finished. Armageddon is over. Jesus puts it down. Jesus has returned as we studied last week. And there's a judgment of nations where the Lord separates out those who believe in Him, who served His people Israel. They are ushered into the kingdom along with the surviving Jews. So you've got surviving Jews and Gentiles entering and filling the millennial kingdom in their mortal state. Human beings like you and me, except we won't be like them then. What do you mean? Hold that thought. They enter the kingdom mortal. Someone might say, well, wait a minute. If that's the case... There's death in the kingdom. Exactly. Turn to Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah 65. It's right near the middle of your Bible, so if you let it fall open, you'll be pretty close. I love to read this section of Scripture 
Isaiah 65 is so incredibly informative of the kingdom. And we'll pick it up in verse 17. Verse 17 is actually an aside, but we'll start with the aside. Listen to it. For behold, Isaiah 65, 17, for behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I create a new heaven, a new earth. And you might jot down in your margin. That's Revelation 21 and 22. But, and this is important, verse 18 But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. And now he's talking about the millennial kingdom. How do you know? Because of the description. Listen to it. I will also, verse 19, rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. No longer will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his days. For the youth, note, the youth will die at the age of 100. And the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be, well, our Bible say will be thought a curse. But the word thought isn't there. It's just those who die at the age of 100 will be a curse. What is this saying? Understand, the youth will die at the age of 100. In other words, if you die at 100, you die a young person. People will live a long, long, long time in the millennial kingdom. In a world restored. And it's going to be remarkable, the longevity, the health of life at that time. But why does he say, and the one who does not reach the age of 100 will be accursed? Because, Because sin, the wages of sin is death. Sin brings about death. So someone in the kingdom who sins, who's rebellious, who's rejecting of the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, <laughs> sin, the death is the wages of sin, you know, the wages of sin is death. So that person's going to die. In the kingdom, keep reading, verse 21, they will build houses and inhabit them. They will plant, I don't want to build another house, but they will. You know. They will also plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They will not build in another inhabit. They will not plant in another eat. For as the lifetime of a tree, so will be the days of my people. Now that doesn't mean you're going to have rings all around you. It just means as trees live long, long, you know, 900, 1,000, 2,000 years. There are olive trees in the Garden of Gethsemane today believed to have existed since the first century. Old, gnarled, 2,000-year-old tree. Those trees could talk, the stories they could tell. But the lifetime of a tree, that's going to be like the days of my people. And my chosen ones will wear out the works of their hands. They will not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. So that tells you something else. Children are going to be born in the millennial kingdom. Mortal life in the millennial kingdom. uh, Children born... People living, building houses, what they build, they have, what they plant, they have. They are the offspring, verse 23, of those blessed by the Lord and their descendants with them. And it will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they were still speaking, I will hear the wolf and the lamb will graze together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. 
I guess everybody's going to be vegetarians. And dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. My holy mountain is Jerusalem. And he says in uh, Psalm 2, verse 6, Behold, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. Where Jesus is ruling and reigning. So yes, people are still mortal in the kingdom. Not, however, the immortal glorified saints. And this is where there can be some confusion. Society in general, the surviving Gentiles, the surviving Jews of the tribulation ushered into the kingdom in their mortal state will continue mortal life on planet earth under the rule and reign of Jesus that will be perfect. People will live a long time. They'll bear children. There will be death in the millennial kingdom. For those who are in rebellion against Jesus... But then you've got the immortal, glorified, raptured saints. We don't come back with Jesus to be mortal again and die. And that's the guarantee, which is right here in the passage in Revelation 19. Yeah, we're going to get back there in just a second. But understand that death still happens because sin still surfaces for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord, Romans 6.23. But in the kingdom, so get in this picture, the kingdom age, the king, the kingdom, and and the society that is the, the subjects of that kingdom, at that time Satan is bound. Sin is reined in. Murders drop. Addictions are curbed. Sin, the very cause of death, will finally be governed righteously. Can you imagine that? Sin governed righteously. Rather than sinners governing sinfully. What a mess of a world we live in. And and I don't smile because I think it's great. (laughs) We have a horrible mess of a world. (laughs) No. I smile because though this world is in a state of chaos and mess and lawlessness, the kingdom is coming. We talked about this briefly Wednesday night. Everything's going to be done right. You're not going to be having laws flaunted. You're not going to have people just getting away with stuff. Because under the watchful eye of Jesus and His rule and reign, His righteous government, it's going to be known exactly what's going on. Listen to what we talked about Wednesday night. We talked about it briefly, but but there's a moment there where our brother Andy, a police officer, dealt with something this last week. It's unbelievable how this guy got off from Grand Theft Auto... Because he was stoned when he stole the car and wasn't in his right mind, didn't know what he was doing. So they let him off. This is the world we live in. But I tell you what I told Andy on Wednesday night. Kingdom's coming. The kingdom's coming when it will all be all right. All right. All the time. The righteous government of Jesus is not a government of constraint. It's a government of freedom where the world will finally know what it's like to live in a righteous way. And with all the joy that comes with it. But wait a minute here. Okay, I understand what you're saying about the subjects, Jews and Gentiles who survive and they are ushered into the kingdom. But And we've already been caught up. We were pre-tribulation raptured. So we come back with Jesus to rule and reign with Him. But won't the population going into the kingdom be rather small? What in the world do you need the entire church for? To govern and to rule and to reign in the kingdom. I mean, really. A handful of Jews, some Gentiles. 
I mean, Jesus can take care of it. What are we needed for? Why are we even invited? Well, part of it is that. We're invited to rule and reign with Him. We're never really needed for the work of God, but we're invited. We get to be a part of it whether we deserve to be or not, which I think is great. But I want you to think about this. A thousand years, millennial kingdom. It took mankind from the flood, destroying everything, taking it down to eight people, from the flood to 1867 to reach a global population of one billion people. It's a long time. Why did it take so long? Well, from the flood to 1867, we had disease and plagues and violence and infant mortality and wars and famines and all that goes with it, all that's still at at work in the world today, and all that going on for that long, long period of time, not to mention the fact that God limited human lifespan to 120 years. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. But then, watch this, from 1867... To 1935, the world's population went from 1 billion to 2 billion. It doubled. In 68 years, it doubled. From 1935 to 1965, another billion was added to the mix. In just 30 years. In spite of, by the way, the casualties of World War II, the Korean War, and Vietnam, we still doubled the population on planet Earth during that time. From 1965 to 1995, we doubled again. We passed 6 billion. In 2019, this year, we will cross 7.7 billion people. And by some estimates, Earth's population is going to continue to double every 15 years. It's growing fast. Compare that to the Millennial Kingdom. If people are living centuries, not just decades, in paradise conditions with perfect health and the standard of righteousness, there's going to be a baby boom beyond compare. It's going to be remarkable and population will grow at an extremely rapid fact. It should grow faster than it's ever fast and uh, grown in the history of the world. If it took three, uh, if we went an entire billion people in 30 years... If we're doubling the population every 15 and you got a thousand years to work with, how large is the population of Earth going to be a hundred years into the Millennial Kingdom? It's going to need some governing. And so it will grow rapidly. A baby boom, by the way, that will be the time to invest in Pampers and Gerbers, so keep that in mind. <laughs> but that's why we're invited to rule and to reign with Jesus in this Kingdom age. To guide the exploding population growth into all righteousness, which is what God asked Adam and Eve to do in the first place. Be fruitful and multiply and rule over all the earth. Rule with righteousness. Live the right way over this planet. That's always been God's prescription. And then He called the people Israel. And He said, you're going to be unto me a nation of priests to bring the light to the world. Well, that didn't work out so well. And then he says to the church of 2,000 years, you're a city on a hill. You are the light of the world. We've done okay. Not great. But in that millennial kingdom age with Jesus present and the church glorified, it will be a completely different thing. We'll have a king personally, in a kingdom locationally, citizens societally, and finally, finally, what I really want to talk about this morning, finally, number four, the government corporately. 
the government. Which brings us back to the fellowship of the first resurrection. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Note that these people are not only blessed, they're holy. They're hagios is the word. Blessed and saintly. Why? Because this is the saints. These are the saints being talked about, referred to. Blessed and saintly is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. The fellowship of the first resurrection that began singularly with Jesus' resurrection 2,000 years ago continues then with the church at the time of the rapture. Again, 1 Corinthians 15.23, each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Revelation 1.6, he has made us, John writes, to be a kingdom, priests, to his God and Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Revelation 5.10 repeats the promise. He's made us a kingdom and, and, a, and a priesthood, and we will rule and reign with him on the earth. And I call it the fellowship of the first resurrection because it's not an event, it's a company. It's a fellowship. It's a group. It's an order, if you will. Christ, His church, and and look at verse 4. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. Stop right there. Who gets a throne? Who gets a throne? Now, I'd like to say everyone, but, but think this through. The mother of James and John, Yaakov and Yohanan, she had the right idea. She had the, the wrong motives. She went too far, but she had the right idea. She asked Jesus for her boys to sit at his right hand and his, at his left hand in the coming kingdom. I have a request for you, Jesus. Yeah, what do you want now? I want James and little Johnny to sit on either side of you ahead of all the others in the kingdom. I don't know if that's what she sounded like. I hope not. (laughs) Paraphrasing, Jesus responded, this ain't no Game of Thrones. More accurately, he said, you do not know what you're asking. Matthew chapter 20, verse 22. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And James and John, they said, we're able. And Jesus said, my cup you shall drink. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. It is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. That is, note that, who's going to sit on the right and who's on the left. That's prepared by the Father. Well, where'd she get the crazy idea of thrones in the first place? From Jesus. For he said in Matthew 19, 28, to the apostles, truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you shall also sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Here's a weird thought. How remarkable that Jesus is telling that, sharing that with the twelve. What do you mean, Judas? That even at that point, Jesus is making an offer to all twelve, including Judas, that they could sit on, would sit on, would judge from twelve thrones over the twelve tribes of Israel in the kingdom. Judas would reject the offer. But verse 4, I begin, I believe, personally, I believe verse 4 begins with the apostles who are resurrected as with the entire church at the rapture. 
But then I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was given to them. Well, who is given judgment? Well, the 12 apostles are given judgment over the 12 tribes of Israel. And I believe that's the they that is being or are being referred to here. Now it continues and the church is in this. Whether we'll have thrones or not, probably not. I don't know if we need a throne. If you want a throne, that's fine. Go get a lazy boy, but you'll have crowns. Be able to worship. And we're there and we're part of it. But then he continues to bring in to this fellowship of the first resurrection, two more groups. I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, which could include all martyrs, over 2,000 years, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead or on their right hand. So tribulation saints, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So martyrs clearly out of the tribulation because of the mark and because of the image of the beast, but perhaps also all those who have ever faced persecution and execution for their faith are included here. And by the way, that would include John's readers. Think about this, people. In the first century, ravaged by Rome, beaten, thrashed about. Most, if you go back, as we started, go back to the seven churches of Revelation 2 and 3, and most of those churches were having a hard time And to read something like this, hey, it's going to be all right. You're going to make it through. And and anyone reading this, what about believers in Jesus during the tribulation itself? Who have come to faith. What an amazing, encouraging word that, that Antichrist... Antichrist is going to reign for seven years, seven brief years, and he's going to reign chopping off heads, but now he's thrown head first into the lake of fire. And these martyrs, they're headed to reign for a thousand years. There's justice. One more group included, I believe, in this fellowship of the first resurrection, along with the church, Jesus first, those who are his it is coming, that is the church, which obviously includes the apostles in their authority and their positioning in the kingdom. And then in addition, martyred saints, the tribulation saints, but one more group that I believe right here at this time is resurrected. Tribulation saints will be resurrected here at the end of the tribulation, right? Because they die in the tribulation. Another group will be resurrected at the end of the tribulation with them. Who are we talking about? Older Testament saints. Older Testament saints. Not caught up in the rapture of the church because that's the rapture of the church. It's for followers of Jesus who died in Christ or who are alive in Christ that is coming. But the Older Testament saints now are resurrected to come into the kingdom as well. Not resurrected to be mortal again, but resurrected, glorified bodies, just like we are. How do you know this? Job chapter 19, verse 25. Job, one of the earliest of the Older Testament saints, we believe he survived, he lived around the time of Abraham. He says, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. Prophetic. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, Job said. Psalm 16, verse 10, David says, You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You're going to save me just as you resurrect Christ. 
And Daniel chapter 12, verse 13, the angel says to Daniel, as for you, go your way to the end, and then you will enter into rest and rise again. Note this, rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Daniel, you're going to rise. For what? The kingdom. Because the kingdom is a promise to Israel. And so all of those Older Testament saints, they're raised up the moment of resurrection and glorification for the tribulation saints and the Older Testament saints is right here and they join the fellowship of the first resurrection. Are you with me? Did I lose anybody? Someone's like... Go back and listen again. I wanted to lay this out as clearly as possible because I've, even, even now, even with all of our study through Revelation, I keep hearing questions. Well, when does this happen? I'm like, I thought we talked about that. Let's be clear here. So this is the first resurrection. Jesus first. The church at the rapture. Tribulation saints. Older Testament saints. Martyred in Christ. These now all raised up at the end of the tribulation to enter into this glorious millennial kingdom. And in that kingdom, you've got people in their mortality. You have Israel. You have Gentiles who come out of that tribulation. They're they're survivors of it. And this whole thing then is the kingdom, the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. And verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. That's the second resurrection, which we'll talk about Wednesday night. You don't want to miss that. That's the second resurrection. When the thousand years are over. This is the first resurrection. What he's been talking about. And what he continues now. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ. And will reign with him for a thousand years. What's the second death? Well it follows the second resurrection. And neither is good. But again, we'll talk about that Wednesday. On Wednesday night, we're going to have our own death cafe. Have you heard of this? They're springing up all over the world. There's one in Anacortes, I guess, this last week. And and Cam alerted me to this. I was like, are you kidding me? Death cafes. Where people can meet together to have tea and cake, which is always nice. I have no problem with that. To discuss death. Brothers and sisters, if you hear about a death cafe in your region, please go. Go. Are you kidding me, Rick? I don't want to go talk about death. We'll go talk about life because we know what happens after death. We got the answer to the death cafe. Maybe we should start some life cafes. That's the idea. People gather, they have tea and cake, and they sit around and they talk about death and mortality and, and you know, they try to encourage each other. But how encouraging can it be to talk about death when all you have is death? When you don't have life? We have life. Should I die before He comes, I will be raised when He calls. And should I be alive when He comes, and I think I will, I will be raised when He calls. But it's not just the rapture of the churches. It's that first resurrection unto the glorious millennial kingdom. Why do we need a death cafe when we have life in the name of Jesus Christ? So we're going to talk a little bit about the second death and the second resurrection. We have to cover it, so we will on Wednesday night. But it's the first resurrection that is a resurrection to everlasting life. As Jesus said, John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? 
Jesus asked Martha, I'm asking you this morning, do you believe this? Then you're part of the fellowship of the first resurrection. And once you join that fellowship, brothers and sisters, death loses all grip. It may hurt a bit. It may sting. We lose loved ones. We talk about the dearly departed. I'm not being callous to that. I have lost dear friends and dear family. And yes, it hurts. You hate to see it happen. And yet, and yet, what do we have? We have the hope of eternal life. And it's not a vague hope. It's a very clear hope by faith in Jesus Christ. So that our outlook is completely different. And yeah, you may yet get sick. You may even die in this mortal body, but you will rise immortal as part of the fellowship of the first resurrection. But listen, I'm not quite done. It starts, it starts with the millennial kingdom. This is why we are raised. This is why we're resurrected. The millennial kingdom is out ahead of us a thousand years. I can't even imagine how marvelous that will be. To be back here on the earth in perfect conditions under the rule and authority of Jesus with Jesus in a glorified body, by the way, for a thousand years, walking through walls, popping in, popping out. I just love the idea. Scaring the mortals. Hey, how's it going? Whoa, stop doing that, Rick. But in all seriousness, what a glorious thought. And guess what? That's just chapter 20. We're just getting started with that. And then chapter 21 and 22, they'll follow. We'll get there in in the next few weeks here, you know, at least study-wise. Here's the thing. Most people are living for right now. This is it. Carpe diem. Get whatever you can, while you can, if you can. Just get it, because this is all you get. And that's the mentality of the world, and that's why the world has death cafes. And too many Christians are in that same boat. And it is a conversation ongoing I have with Christian after Christian after Christian. And hey, I'll be honest, I have struggled myself. It's not like I'm floating up here. We all sometimes get drawn into today and into my aches and pains of right now and into what's happening in my life in the immediate. And we forget, we lose perspective. And then someone says rapture of the church and go, oh yeah, oh yeah. Too many Christians are living for now. Now there are some who are living for the rapture. And and listen, I think both are missing the point. What? What did Jesus say? Matthew 6.33 But seek first what? His kingdom. He didn't even say seek first the rapture. Oh, he says be ready for it. Be prepared. I'm coming at a time you do not think I will. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. What are all these things? Today, the immediate, right now. That'll be added. I'll take care of that. You seek the kingdom. You go after the kingdom. You prepare for, look forward to the kingdom. What are you saying, Jesus? Live for the kingdom And live for the kingdom now. Not for the kingdom now. Live now for the kingdom. Because the kingdom isn't now. But the kingdom is coming. I love that old mid-90s Crystal Lewis song. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be going home. Right? 
People get ready. Jesus is coming. And I used to sing that song. Yeah, and soon we'll be coming home, going home. But, but what then? The kingdom. The kingdom. What I'm saying is don't stop with the ride home. Live for the kingdom. Turn in your Bibles to Luke 19. We'll finish there. Luke 19. I've had this conversation with a few people recently. This is a big, big deal. This is a complete game changer. It's a paradigm shift, even from what so many of us as Christians think and believe. Luke 19, 11, while they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable. By the way, Jesus at this point is in Jericho. He tells two parables, one here in Luke 19, the other one in Matthew 25. Very, very similar parables, but there are two, there, there are some differences that are important. And I'll point a couple out, but watch this. He's in Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. He was near to Jerusalem and he went on to tell a parable. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So he tells this parable. Why? This is a kingdom parable. Actually, it's a kingdom preparation parable. Listen. He said a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and he gave them ten minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him. They sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. By the way, this had just happened. Jesus is pinging off something that had just taken place where Archelaus had just gone to Rome because he wanted to rule and reign in Judea. And the people had sent a delegation to Rome saying, don't let this man rule and reign. So this is very applicable right there in the first century. What's going, what's going on? People would know this. And when he returned after receiving the kingdom, because he was given the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that they might know, he might know what business they had done. The first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over ten cities. The second came saying, your man, mina master, <laughs> it's not easy to say. Try saying mina master five times fast. And your mina master has also made five minas. He said to him, you are to be over five cities. Another came to him saying, master, here's your mina, which I've put away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you're an exacting man. You take up what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, by your own words, I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you not know, or did you know that I am an exacting man taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have at least collected it with interest. And then he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Historically, Archelaus slayed over 3,000 people when he returned to Judea. So this is a historical picture. This was in the news and Jesus is drawing the picture. He's telling the story. Guess what? In Jericho that day, there were people who would have gone, oh yeah, yeah, or, yeah well, he's just an exacting man. Yeah, and I know the story. I read about this. Wow, how'd Jesus get this insight about the minus? But people who just didn't get it, what was Jesus saying? This parable paralyzed the parable, or, or parallels, sorry, 
parallels the parable of the talents, Matthew 25. And you can read that parable on your own time. I won't go into it. Matthew 25, 14 through 30 is the parable of the talents, where again, one goes away and he leaves his servants with talents, not minus, talents. So there's a big difference there. Big difference. And then he comes back and and, and you have similar pictures. So what's going on here? The rebellious enemies, note this, are destroyed. But then you've got this guy with his mina in a hanky. And he's fearing the nobleman's return. He's not slain, but he has no gain. Remember that. These parables begin to hit home to both the common and to the wealthy. What do you mean? They hit home to those who are talented. That would be in Jerusalem where he tells the parable in Matthew 25. And those who just have minus. That's Jericho. Jerusalem. When he tells the parable, he's dealing with a people who at that point, uh, many of them were in better shape, were financially well off. You know, they had the talents. They under- So he, he puts it in terminology that they would comprehend better, would relate to better. But when he's in Jericho, a lot of the impoverished people there at the time, he speaks in terms of minus because that's more along the lines of what they would have. More blue collar as opposed to upper echelon religious. The talents which is the Matthew 25 parable, the talent was big money. The talent, one talent was equal to 15 years wages. Anybody like a a 15 year, uh, you know, advance on your salary? 15 years. That's a lot of money. The mina was 50 shekels. That is the equivalent of 100 days of blue collar wage. So again, very different tellings of this parable. Why are you pointing all this out right now, Rick? Listen, some will say, well, I just don't have any talents to use for God. Have you got a mina? Do you have minas? Do you have something? Do you have something to offer? Don't be a fearful hanky holder. Use what you've got. Why? Because note this in Luke 19, the five mina man gets five cities. The ten minor men. We're talking about the minus. They didn't have much. They had something. The one who was given the ten minus or, or made ten minus. Man, he gets ten cities. You know what that sounds like to me? Governing. It's a parable of the kingdom. It's reigning in a kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Take risks. Spend what you've got, big or small, talent or minor. Put it on the line for the Lord. Live life now for real life then. Live now for the kingdom. Though the kingdom is not now, the kingdom is coming. Live for it because, and here's the big point, where we are headed here is the whole thing. Do you realize that your success in this life is not the point? Young people, the jobs out ahead of you, the careers out ahead of you are not going to fulfill you. You'll get to the end of them and go, well, that's done. Now what? Older people, my, my father-in-law, Bill, some of you know this, pr- please pray for Bill. He fell this last week, broke five ribs and has a tear in his lung. And he's back home. He's a couple of nights in Island Hospital. He's back home now and he's resting and he's doing okay. Lots of pain. But more than that, Bill and I had this long conversation about frustration. I'm growing older. 
and aches and pains and things that happen and our body's not doing what we wish our bodies could do. Our minds still do it, but our bodies don't. Hey, older people, guess what? It's not over. Your life is not behind you. The cross is behind you. Your life is ahead of you. And what's ahead is the kingdom. And everything that's happening to us right now in this short life is preparation for the kingdom. That's where your dreams will be realized. That's where your hopes will come to fruition. That's where all the training and experience and professional careers and everything else that you have in this life in Christ, it's all going to come to bear in the kingdom. We're not just going to go and float around. What are you doing today? I thought I'd go see Jesus in Jerusalem. I don't know. I have nothing else to do. No, you're going to be governing. You're going to be busy. And some of you will have invested and you're going to be over ten cities. Some over five. Some are going to be wringing their tears in their hanky. The kingdom is coming. Well, I don't have anything to give. What do you have? Big or small? How about two copper pennies like the widow? What do you have? Give it to the Lord. What you have in terms of gifts, abilities, talents. Some have talents. Some are very talented. They can do all kinds of things. They better be doing it for the Lord. Some just have, you know, some are just super hospitable. You know, they can have people over. Some are just so good at loving people. You know, others have different gifts. And and if we try to track all our gifts, some are small, some are great. Typically, those with the smaller gifts don't even think of them as gifts. No, I just like people. That's why I'm hospitable. No, you have a gift. Trust me, I don't have the gift of hospitality. Cheryl does. You know, so when people come into our home, they, they feel welcomed and loved. Not because of me. I'm over in the corner going, how long are they after? No, I'm kidding. (laughs) And someone says, yeah, I've been to Rick's house. No. Hey, what what do you have? What has he put in you? Well, I have some training in this area. Great, use it for the Lord. Use it for the kingdom. Because the kingdom is what we're called to seek. Seek first his kingdom and his right. He'll take care of the rest. Seek His kingdom and His righteousness. And hear what Jesus says in Matthew 25 to the faithful among the servants. Matthew 25, 21, the Master says to Him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. This is my favorite part. Enter into the joy of your Master. That's the kingdom. The joy of our Master Kingdom's coming. And it is just the beginning of the joy of the first resurrection. Father, we can't wait. We look forward to that. Thank you for the reminder again this morning and the encouragement of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. We align ourselves with the prayers of Jesus. And Lord Jesus, we repeat it back to you to say, we want this. We agree with you for this. We shout our amen to this, that your kingdom come, Lord Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I ask for that radical paradigm shift for us as your people to stop thinking in terms of right now, not just to think in terms of somehow making it to the rapture, but looking forward to and preparing for and thinking about the kingdom that you have promised to bring. Oh, Lord, what what a marvelous time that will be. Thank you for your word to us. 
Encourage your, your saints now, Father, and equip us for the kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen.